This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora, good evening. Get those dancing shoes ready. In just under six hours, you'll be able to rock the dance floor at bars and clubs as New Zealand finally moves to the orange traffic light setting. Let's lay it out. The entire country shifts from red to orange at 11.59pm tonight. That was Simon Dallow on TVNZ1 News last Wednesday with the prospect of an indoor boogie just hours away. And this time, he said, there was no 48-hour wait for a change in the alert level rules. The health minister calling today's overall picture of the Omicron outbreak a very positive one. Mask use is still necessary in close-quarter businesses like retail stores, supermarkets and hairdressers and on public transport. But those not necessarily hankering for a dance and those who might find themselves at more risk under the orange rules might not have been so reassured by the COVID response minister not knowing when and where those rules on masks would apply from Thursday onwards. Hayden Donnell now looks at how some voices were missing in all the coverage of opening up and moving on from the pandemic. A toast to orange. Orange. Wellington's Dakota Bar celebrating the return of proper hospitality. I'm relieved that we are going to be going to orange at midnight tonight. Auckland's St Alice buzzed too. Fantastic. We're stoked. Do a little dance, New Zealand. The government has given the nightlife the orange light. That's News Hub at 6 introducing its report on our shift to orange on Wednesday. As you heard earlier at TVNZ, Simon Dallow was also getting amped for a triumphant return to the club. The TV networks weren't alone in honing in on the deregulation of dancing. Dancing returns to Wellington bars, read the headline of a Dominion Post story that went on to claim, somewhat questionably, that the alert-setting move had been met with unanimous and unbridled joy by young Kiwis desperate to get back onto dance floors. The shift to orange was also met with unbridled joy by hospitality owners desperate to get back into profit. On RNZ's Checkpoint, Restaurant Association Chief Executive Marissa Bidois had this to say. We were very, very pleased to hear that this is happening. It's a huge relief for the hospitality industry, which continues to struggle under the red level restrictions. The rest of that report quoted a range of political leaders, but no health experts, worker representatives or anyone besides Green Party leader James Shaw, who wasn't either celebrating or asking for still more freedom. Not to be outdone, the Christchurch Press carried a story which quoted three business association spokespeople, four hospitality business owners, the chief executive of a theatre and zero workers. Meanwhile, the Timaru Herald carried the headline, Hospitality Operators Celebrate Relaxing of Rules Ahead of Easter, in a story which quoted a pub owner pictured with his hands raised above his head in celebration, two business association spokespeople and no one else. Other stories focused on Retail NZ's calls for mask mandates to be removed in their stores, presumably so they too can join the dance party. This sort of one-sided reporting has been par for the course when it comes to coverage of the country's alert levels. In recent months, dozens of stories and interviews have been published which focus solely on the concerns of business owners and the associations that represent their interests, with little balance and comment from other groups whose health and well-being will be affected by our COVID restriction levels. There are some exceptions to the rule, like this story from TVNZ's Breakfast, which features a woman with cancer, a girl with diabetes and a man with a heart condition, speaking on how they felt about the prospect of everything opening up. Myself and a whole lot of um, cancer patients and, um, you know, parents with children like myself who have um, medical issues, uh, medically fragile babies, we're worried there's still a high amount of case numbers out there and, um, you know, people sadly dying each day from from this outbreak. So we're, we're worried for our children. I'm worried for myself. 
That's Lynn Kenny, who lives with bowel cancer. For the most part, perspectives like that have been drowned out in the media by cries of get back to normal. The businesses making those calls do have an important perspective, but it can feel like other people with skin in the game like hospitality workers, the immunocompromised, or just people who really, really don't want to get COVID are being forgotten or ignored. Back in March, Stephen Judd joked on Twitter about setting up a group, the National Association of People Who Just Don't Want to Get COVID, to make sure the interests of that little surveyed cohort get more airtime in the media. He spoke to me about why. That's Stephen Judd. A couple of weeks ago, I was getting really irritated by um, two things. Uh, One was it seemed like there was a flood of stories um, featuring the hospitality industry, their spokesperson or people with effective businesses all asking for uh, public health measures to be relaxed on the premise that would help their business, it didn't seem like many of the people interviewing them made them actually fill in the gaps in their argument without sort of noting that we are at the peak of a pandemic and people have pretty legitimate reasons not to go out. And I think they needed to be pressed on whether relaxing measures would actually produce the effects that they want to see. Uh, And that just didn't really seem to happen. Obviously, if you are immune compromised or disabled or particularly vulnerable, you don't want to get COVID. I'm able-bodied and well, and I don't want to get COVID either. And I don't think most people do. If you just polled people in the normal way that polls happen and put the question, Would you like to get a serious flu-like illness that in a small number of cases will kill you and in a rather bigger one might make you chronically ill for a long time? I think most people would say no. Your joke has a serious subtext, right? Do you think that we in the media are too reliant on the people who send us press releases and who have the funding and clout available to put up paid spokespeople to represent their interests? Yeah. News is a beast that you need to keep feeding and it's much easier to keep feeding when you have a list of people who will answer the phone, uh, especially if they get in touch to say, hey, I'm waiting by the phone. There are three constituencies I think people could be talking to. The people who are suffering from the impact of public health measures, you know, so our hospital and, and retail people. There's the people who are experts about those measures now, and they're around to answer the phone too. I mean, you can get an epidemiologist on the phone. and But there's also the people who benefit from staying well and living in a healthy community. And that's the people we there's no one obvious to call. But that's why we so, need the National that. Association of People Who Just Don't Want they, to Get COVID. Absolutely. And look, it's a constituency that evidently really is out there. And the media should um, really find a way to cover it even if there isn't a spokesperson with an easily available number and perspective to draw on. I'm right here, bro. That's Stephen Judd. Elsie Coles is a senior hospitality worker and advocate at Raise the Bar Hospo Union, who recently recovered from a bout of COVID that left her hospitalised. She's been frustrated at seeing so many stories where workers like her don't feature, including in the coverage of this week's Switch to Orange. So much gets put on what customers can and can't do and hospitality workers and hospitality employers are sort of put to the like back burner of the whole situation. Um, I, even in the past few days, have had obviously with the orange light settings, um, so many people come in completely confused about what 
we're meant to be doing. We saw in the press conference yesterday discussions about nightclubs, <laughs> but there wasn't a lot of talk of cafes or those sorts of things. We also sort of seem to talk mainly when we talk about hospitality in the media to bosses and the associations that represent those bosses' interests. So does it kind of bother you that we mainly just talk to hospitality owners and we don't really have these worker voices in a lot of the stories? I mean, it wouldn't bother me so much if these were employers who were in touch with what their employees wanted. Um, But a lot of the time you're talking to the head of chains um, or you're talking to people who have award-winning, really well-recognised restaurants and businesses and not necessarily those working in what we consider everyday hospital. Um, And a lot of the time, the views of the bosses are not actually accurately reflecting how workers are feeling. Yeah, and how so? There's been such a huge push on just opening up. Um, And I can understand, obviously, why employers would want it. Their business can't survive if you're closed the whole time. But for employers, that's sort of health and safety risk. I mean, a lot of us are working insane hours because people are off either in isolation or like because they're household contact or because they have COVID themselves. Staff are forced to pick up more hours to do the job of two or three people, as well as the fact that we are coming in contact with so many people every single day. The chances of getting COVID are so high working in a hospitality job. Even over the, the previous mandates, you know, abuse over vaccine passes and those sorts of things were not things they were experiencing firsthand. I can understand why maybe it's not as much of a concern for them because it's not something that's in the forefront of their mind, but it does bother me that we don't see the media speaking about it either. Why do you think it happens that way? A lot. I've noticed it more towards the end of the pandemic. Um, People don't want to hear about the negative side effects of COVID anymore. Um, There's been such a push towards, oh, this is, you know, this is going to be over. We're opening up the borders. Mandates are going away. Those sorts of things that we're not talking about the day-to-day reality of people working in industries, and it's not just hospitality. I mean, nurses and people who work in supermarkets and emergency services are all in the same sort of boat as us. Um, but that's not that's not great news. <laughs> it's not something that's positive. I don't think that's what people want to be hearing about. Is this something that you've seen in the recent move to the orange alert level settings, where uh, it's sort of almost treated almost universally as a celebration in the media, and there's not really much perspective from someone that could be affected negatively from it? Yeah, and I I mean, I don't blame anyone writing like that. And I don't blame people who maybe don't want to read about negative things. We're all really tired. However, you're right, they've pushed it a little too far in the opposite direction. And now it's a huge celebration where none of us hospitality workers are celebrating yet. Hey, thank you so much for joining me, Elsie. You're welcome. The spin-off Charlotte Muru Lanning is one journalist who has regularly highlighted worker voices. She spoke about why that's comparatively rare and what can be done to fix things. The fact that you can have an article that has four hospitality owners spoken to and then that's kind of, that's it. I think that's kind of reflective of potentially an erosion of worker voices in general in in this country but also overseas and I think that at the same time you have those kind of those voices of employers which are kind of like this taken for granted voice of authority in those stories I guess and I think that that's sort of a subconscious thing that this is the world that we exist in and these are the people that we're meant to talk to. A lot of journalists are quite time poor and it's a lot easier to talk to someone who runs a hospitality association or business owners so they're available I guess to speak to. You used to work 
in HOSPO, and they've obviously been the focus of a lot of these opening up stories. But when you used to work in the industry, did you ever get bothered by the lack of worker voices in media coverage of your industry? I think that I probably wasn't quite as aware of it until the pandemic started. I kind of, I specifically remember it was maybe like a two week period before we went into our first lockdown. I was working in a restaurant and a lot of the media coverage was talking to employers, bosses at different restaurants and bars around Auckland about how quiet it was and how customers were scared and so they weren't coming in. And so we were getting a whole lot of customers coming in really well-meaning, but I think that we were, as workers, really, really anxious at that time and it would have been maybe helpful just for those stories to have included how worried a lot of workers were. These are the people that keep the industry ticking. I just don't think that you can really talk about the industry without talking to those people who keep it going, who from the kitchen to your table or who actually make the food. How much of this is just that old story of power and privilege gets prioritised? Yeah, definitely. I think that a lot of workers, they're on low wages and they and their jobs are kind of, they're kind of in a vulnerable position. So I think that that power imbalance is definitely not helpful in terms of making sure that workers feel comfortable to talk to the media. If I put you in charge of the media tomorrow, you could direct how it covers hospitality and other industries. What, how would you change how journalists pick the voices they platform? I think that journalists, we should be really reflective or self-critical on the ways that we're going about telling stories and so who we're talking to, how we're talking to them, how we write about them and all that kind of thing. And I think a lot of the issues that come up when it comes to, you know, not talking to particular people is, yeah, that we're not being as self-reflective as we could be on that and that sometimes it feels kind of uncomfortable to go out of you know, normal ways of doing things, which might be that, you know, these are the people that you speak to for a hospitality story. You speak to the people who own the businesses. You speak to the leaders of business associations. Telling stories about this industry without speaking to workers is you're kind of missing out on a whole lot of colour in the industry and you're not telling a full story. And I think people are kind of left without a full understanding of what's actually happening. And I think that has huge ramifications, really. Hey, thanks for joining me, Charlotte. Thank you for having me. That was Charlotte Muru-Lanning, staff writer at the spin-off, talking there to Media Watch's Hayden Donnell about some of the voices that were barely there in the coverage of business moving out of the red and into the orange, the people working at the front desk and on the front line.